This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipsker from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a very good Shabbos to all of you, Arab Shabbos to all of you, and a very good Rosh Chodesh. Today is Rosh Chodesh Kislev, a Chodesh of miracles, a Chodesh of great excitement and joy, a Chodesh a month that we celebrate moments in Jewish history that exhilarate, that uplift, that bring together the most powerful elements of Jewish pride and Jewish strength. I wasn't here last week. Last week I was at the Kinnis in New York with 5,000 other shluchim emissaries of the Lubavitcher Rebbe for the annual get-together, the annual convention, and what an experience it was. Absolutely exhilarating. Can you imagine 5,000 people sitting together in one room, the energy, the excitement, the warmth, the holiness, it was incredible. And what an evening, well, what a weekend it was, and what an evening the banquet was when we were given insights into so many different elements that confront the Jewish people today. It was a moment that, again, speaks about the Jewish pride and Jewish strength to see these 5,000 people going to every corner of the world, to their own communities, to many other shluchim who didn't attend, to come back and bring the excitement, the warmth, the energy of the kinnis into the coming year of their work is something which is extraordinary and special. And this is something that we celebrate every single year. It's a shot in the arm. It uplifts us. It brings us closer to each other. And enables us to continue with our holy work, bringing light of godliness into the world. Yes, it was also a very sad sort of couple of days. The uh, shadow of Pittsburgh was very much with us. There were moments during the Kinnis when we paid tribute in memory of those who were so brutally murdered. And it was a time of, uh, well, deep reflection, a time of thinking about important things, a time of thinking about the Jewish people, the continuity of the Jewish people, and how such a terrible thing could have happened. And although it happens around the world from time to time, in Israel almost on a daily basis, people attack and try to kill in Europe, other parts of the world. Nonetheless, there was something about the Pittsburgh massacre that touched the hearts of so many people. And this is why last week, apparently, shuls around the world were packed to capacity Jewish people showing a sign of solidarity and strength, a sign of holy defiance that we are an eternal people, and despite the fact that we suffer terribly from time to time with senseless attacks upon our character, upon our people, upon our very existence, nonetheless we stand firm and strong. We understand our very existence is a miracle of God, and this miracle is something that we celebrate on a daily basis. And it was a time to think about these things, to talk about these things. The shluchim, the emissaries that had come from Pittsburgh, were there and led us in prayer a number of times. One of the great moments of the kinnis is the photograph where, well, can you imagine thousands upon thousands of shluchim standing on special bleachers in front of the headquarters of the Chabad movement at 770 where the Rebbe's office used to be. And... A picture is taken. It's a moment of, well, excitement, hilarity, uh, all sorts of things are happening. The very scene itself is quite amazing. And there, too, the Shluchim from Pittsburgh stopped for a moment, and we all recited Tehillim Psalms in memory 
of the fallen. All in all, it was a time of great upliftment. Yes, as I said before, it was tainted with the sadness of the Pittsburgh massacre, but that too gave us strength and purpose, and together in unity we go forward. And this is why the Shabbos, which comes, well, a day after Rosh Chodesh Kislev today, and yesterday Rosh Chodesh Kislev, it's a month of miracles. It's a month of understanding that the existence of the Jewish people is not something which is natural and ordinary. It's not something which is simply there and can be taken for granted. It is an absolute miracle of God. It is a miracle of God that we continue to be, continue to be a people as a people, and not only as a people, but as a people devoted to him, to God, and all that he asks of us. And this is why the month of Kislev is a special month, a month that we have to think about that type of strength and pride that we always talk about, the strength and pride that makes us into the great people that we are. And the Shabbos, of course, in a sense, speaks about similar things. The Shabbos, the Parsha, is told out, which translated simply means children, it means the actions. Well, told out really means the legacy. And it says, these are the children. This is the legacy of Yitzchak, Isaac, the son of Abraham, Abraham who gave birth to Isaac. And all the commentaries ask the obvious question, Torah does not repeat words unless it's absolutely necessary, trying to teach a very important lesson. And over here we see, it says Yitzchak ben Abraham, that Yitzchak was the son of Abraham, Isaac was the son of Abraham, and that Abraham gave birth to Yitzchak. It's one and the same. It's his father, it's his son. What is this particular passage trying to tell us? And the answer, of course, is that there is an integral relationship between parent and child, a relationship which is not only physical or emotional, but in the true sense, a relationship that should be eternal as well. You know, in the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, there was a very interesting term called the generation gap, where parents and children lived very different lives and lived in different worlds. Parents were under the influence of a particular set of circumstances and social environment, and the children, the youth, grew up in a different environment. And as we go through history, we see time and again that this happens to a people. Parents live a particular type of life, the children live another life, and before you know it, there's very little relationship between the generations, certainly of grandparents and grandchildren, great-grandparents and great-grandchildren. What Torah is emphasizing over here is that a parent has to infuse the child with a particular type of purpose, of eternal value, of spiritual dimension that lasts in the child, and the child is able to give over to ultimately his children as well, her children as well. This is what a parent is obligated to do. And a child, of course, receives from the parent. A child takes this particular gift given by parents, lives with that particular gift, and ultimately continues to make it grow and develop until time, end of time, since time immemorial. This is the real relationship of parent and children. No generation gap, no separation, no difference between this decade and that decade we speak about the baby boomers the millennials the well all sorts of strange terms to explain strange and different behavior patterns the jewish people 
live a continued life. And as I've often told you, if Moses would come into his shul right now, and he would see us praying and davening and putting on film, he would know exactly what we are saying. He would know exactly what we are doing. It's something which lasts throughout the annals of history. It's something which continues throughout all the pathways of Jewish life. But the only way a parent can really give a child something which is eternal and everlasting is if, in fact, what he gives over is eternal and everlasting. If a parent simply gives over the values of a particular society, a particular time and space and history, that won't last very long because as fashions change, as attitudes change, as social behavior changes, these things fall by the wayside. The only way a parent can really give a child something that lasts forever is if, in fact, that which he gives the child is eternal as well. And what is eternal among the Jewish people? What's eternal is the Torah, the mitzvot, God's commandments, and God's Torah. And this is why it's so important to teach our children properly, not only for the knowledge of Torah, but to give them that particular gift, that particular eternal, everlasting dimension of being. This is your Jewishness. This is the essence of your being. This is something which has to last. This is something which you must take and pass on to the next generation, and so they too must do. This is something which I picked up from my parents, and they picked up from their parents, going back all the way to Sinai, and before all the way to Abram, Isaac and Jacob. If we want to retain those values, it is those values that we have to pass on to our children. And this is why when we sit down and discuss the Parsha, <coughs> excuse me, we sit down and speak about the Torah portion, it is real to us. It's not something in the historical past. We look for relevancy. We look for something that we can identify with because we identify with the characters of the Parsha. We identify with the essence of the Parsha. This is what the eternal dimension of Torah is all about. As it made sense then, so it makes sense now. And this is the incredible legacy given from children, given to children from parents, generation after generation. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the legacy that parents pass on to children, children receive from the parents, and how to take the eternal dimension of the Jewish people, make it real and relevant in every single generation. What was important at Sinai is important today. What is important today will be important in a thousand years from now. How do we do that? We talk about passing on eternal values and receiving eternal values. This is what parents do. They pass on hopefully eternal values and children receive them and make them their own. And this is what the Pesach is telling. This is what the passage is saying that Yitzchak was the son of Avraham. He received from Abraham that eternal message. Avraham holy as Yitzchak. Abraham is a parent is one who transmitted that eternal value to his son, Yitzchak. And although this is the eternal value, but the expression of the eternal value is something which is quite unique to each and every single individual. 
Avraham and Yitzchak, Abraham and Isaac, father and son, they shared every single value, but their personalities, their characters were very, very different. Their mode of operation, how they functioned in the world, what they did, how they tried to accomplish their particular mission was an expression of their own character. Yes, the essential value, the energy, the source was the eternal word of God, eternal word of Torah. But nonetheless, the expression how it was implemented and applied is something which was unique and separate to each and every one. What did Avraham do? Avraham changed the world. Avraham spoke to the world. Avraham spoke to the entire world. Avraham is one who dramatically and radically introduces the world to the idea of one God monotheism, ethical monotheism, how to behave correctly as well. And he had a huge following throughout the entire world. People were mesmerized by his message. People were taken by his word. People were uplifted as a result of the energy that he had, the faith that he had, and he was able to share that faith, that knowledge, that greatness with so many people, and this is how he single-handedly changed the world, a world that was idolatrous, a world that had distanced itself from God, a world that began to behave contrary to the will of God. Nonetheless, this world is now changing as a result, or changed as a result of the incredible impression that was made by Abraham and the influence that he exerted over tens if not hundreds of thousands of people. Yitzchak was very different. Yitzchak looked for depth. Yes, Abraham was wide. The breadth was enormous. But the depth wasn't that great, our sages tell us. And this is why, after a while, people began to doubt what, in fact, they had accepted was real. And this was the job of Yitzchak job of Yitzchak was to take the teachings of his father, to take those that were influenced by his father, and to teach them how to probe deeply into their lives to make this real, not only on an external shallow level, but on a very real internal level. And these are two modes of behavior, both of them absolutely necessary. Avraham reaches out and touches the lives of so many. Yitzchok takes those lives and he shows them how to find depth in that which they believe in and depth within their lives. And this is what the Torah tells us, that the wells Abraham dug that were blocked up by the Pelishtim, the Pelishtim were jealous of the wells that Abraham had dug. They were reopened, they were redug by Yitzchak, and of course, metaphorically speaking, what are the wells, the wells of water? In Maim El there is no greater nourishing water than the water of Torah, and this is what he introduces into the world, that which was stopped up by the enemies of Abraham, who tried to stop the influence of godliness that he presented and taught the world, that he showed the world, Yitzchak reopens those wells. And as we know, physically, simply speaking, in those times, water was, well, as water is today. It is a life source to so many, particularly in areas, areas that are barren and don't have so much rainfall. Wells, this is where the oasis came, this is where settlements were developed, people dug wells in order to be nourished by water, water to drink and water to, well, do whatever is necessary to water their fields as well. And this is what Avraham did to the world, he brought water to the world, he nourished the world, he changed the world, he excited the world, he taught the world what was all about.
Then, of course, along came the Pelishtim, people who were angered at the teachings of Abraham. They didn't want the idea of one God. They wanted to retain the idea of idolatry in the world. They metaphorically blocked up the wells of Abraham. Along comes Yitzchak, and Yitzchak looks for depth. Yitzchak looks for inwardness. Take that which you know and try to implement it. Yes, we are often motivated by, well, something that we hear or something that we see, but unless we take that motivational moment, that idea, and use it deeply within our own lives to somehow allow it to enter into our consciousness so that we understand it, we comprehend it, we apply it to our own lives. Unless we do that, that motivational moment is gone. It's left. It's beyond us. And this is what Yitzchak is teaching the people. Yitzchak is teaching the people the value of depth, the value of taking something and making it real. You know, I often use this example, particularly this time of the year when so many kids are sitting and writing their exams. There are those who cram for the exams. They memorize this and memorize that, sit down and do their exam, and hopefully they pass, and hopefully they get a decent mark. But after a while, what they've crammed, they forget. And then there are those who actually study throughout the year, and they review and study again and again and again. That knowledge will remain with that individual forever because that individual took it, understood it, applied it, comprehension was taken over. It's not something which was done overnight, but it was something which was done over a lengthy period of time, a time of study, a time of implementation, a time of getting to know deeper, wiser, and greater things. And this is what Yitzchak was all about. And this is why, strangely enough, something which is extremely puzzling in this Parsha. Because after all, Isaac and Rebekah are praying for a child. They have twins, Yaakov and Esau. And it says that Esau was a hunter. Esau was a man who was devoted, well, to the less refined dimensions of life. He was a man who enjoyed the hunt, go out and kill. He was not an individual that was motivated by the spirituality of Yitzchak, and therefore his lifestyle was completely contrary. It was a lifestyle of almost debauchery, whereas Yaakov is the man who sits in the tent devoted to study, devoted to greatness and development from a spiritual point of view. And yet it says that Vayehav Yitzchak loved Esav, whereas Rebecca loved Yaakov. And the question is, if Yitzhak was a man of such great spirituality who was looking for depth, who was looking for insight, who was looking to take a superficial, shallow knowledge and develop it to understand it fully and completely, why is he loving the son Esau who has turned against him? One of the answers, of course, is precisely because of the personality of Yitzchak. Yitzchak looks for depth, and this is why. When he looks deeply into the life of Esau, yes, he sees negative behavior. He sees something that he doesn't agree with, something that upsets him. He sees a lifestyle that is contrary to the will of God. He's a hunter in every sense of the word, in the negative sense of the word. But at the same time, deep within Esau, 
Yitzchak recognizes a tremendous potential of greatness, of goodness, of spirituality, and he feels that if he would love him, if he would show this type of closeness, he would be able to somehow draw out that depth within Esau and to teach Esau how to live that life as well. Whereas Rebecca, Rebecca who grew up in the house of Betuel and Laban, people who themselves were not devoted to the highest causes of divine behavior, of godly behavior, of ethical behavior, she understands the mind of wicked people. She understands the mind of devious people. She understands the behavior is not only something which is superficial, but ultimately cripples their ability to actually become motivated to that degree where they become spiritually devoted people. And this is why she showers her attention on Yaakov, because she knows if, in fact, this Parsha is told, that this Parsha is the Parsha of a legacy, this legacy will not continue with Esau. Despite the best efforts of Yitzchak, despite the best love that he showers upon his son Esau, Esau is not going to be an individual who will carry on with the values of Yitzchak, with the values of Abraham. And this is why she showers her love, her attention on the other son, Yaakov, because she recognizes in Yaakov the character, the strength, the pride, the ability of becoming an individual who will take the teachings and life of Yitzchak, who will take the teachings and life of Abraham and continue with them forevermore and teach that to his children. And this is why she feels duty-bound to make sure that he receives the blessings, because not that she doesn't love her son Esau, of course she does, but she understands that he is challenged and it will take many, many generations, perhaps until the coming of Mashiach, before the potential of Esau can be realized, the good potential of Esau can be realized. And this is why he is not the individual who has the capacity, the ability, or the strength to carry on with the legacy of Yitzchak. And this is what this Parsha is all about. This Parsha is how to transmit values of importance from one generation to another. And this is why people are often confused. How come it is that I gave my children everything? I've given them whatever I've needed, and yet, and yet, they don't follow the steps of life that I have taken, the values of life that I have taken. It's because they have given over, yes, to the best of their abilities, and very often with the best intentions. But what they gave over is something which is shallow, something which is limited, something which doesn't have the ability of enduring the test of time, the test of change, the test of generation to generation, and this is why it dies out in one generation, at best two, maybe making it three, but not beyond that. This is the great conflict between Yitzchak and Rebecca. One sees the potential and tries to express it now, knowing full well that perhaps it's an impossible job. The other concerned with the fact that the teaching that Abraham brought to the world, changing the world, making this place a home for God himself, as our sages point out, to make this world a dwelling place, a home for God. It is necessary to have a particular type of character who carries that message, who carries that word, who has the understanding of living a life of devotion, to the values of God and Torah. This is the only way we continue with the incredible internal 
legacy of the Jewish people. And this is why she showers Yaakov with love. Yaakov is an individual that we'll read about next week and talk about for quite a few weeks after to see the challenges of his life. But Yaakov becomes an individual who goes through every single type of difficulty a human being can encounter, and he always comes out with greatness, with strength. He always comes out with a tremendous sense of purpose. Even though he is the one who sits in the tent, he's not the hunter. He's not physically strong in that sense. He is not the individual who's out in the fields changing, chasing the animals and behaving in, well, not so perfect way. Yaakov is the one who sits in the tent and studies. He is the one who is devoted, but he has that internal, eternal strength, both internal and eternal strength that enables him to receive the blessings from Yitzchak and continue to change the world in a positive way. Yes, of course, Esav is a son. Esau is a son of Isaac and Rebekah. They gave birth to him, but he did not receive from them. It was given to him, but he didn't open his arms. He didn't open the vessel of his life in order to receive the wisdom, the holiness, the greatness of Yitzchak and Rebekah. And this is why he fails ultimately. Yes, he becomes a man of great wealth, a man of great strength, a man of great power, a man of, well, he is Esau. Esau is not somebody to be trifled with. He's an individual of incredible power, but it's physical power. It's material power. It's not spiritual power. It's not a power that lasts forever. It's a power that, yes, can last a couple of generations within a particular type of environment, but it's not something which will last forever, as we have seen throughout history, the mightiest of nations, the greatest of nations, come and go. They reach an apex. They reach a high point in their development, and then they begin to descend. They fall apart, and after a while, the only place you find them are in the history books and the stories of yesterday, but they have no relevance whatsoever today. And this is what Esau is all about. Esau is a man of physical and material power. Esau is a man of incredible physical strength, but it's not something which can endure changing times again and again. Only Yaakov possesses that in his quiet and devoted and powerful way. He is in truth far stronger than Esau. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the legacy of Toldot. We're talking about how to transmit value from generation to generation, from beginning of time until the end of time. We're talking about how to enable a great-great-grandfather to speak with a great-great-grandchild and share common ideas, common values, common insights into life to know what they are doing is one and the same. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It's something which started with Abraham came to a highlight at Sinai with the Torah and continues with intensity until the coming of Mashiach. This is the miracle of the Jewish people. This is the strength of the Jewish people. This is how the Jewish people are, how they've been, and how they will be. They will continue as long as they continue to pass on that message and to receive the message. And this is why you have to pass it on with love, with devotion, with concern, with dedication. It has to be received with humility, with uh, greatness, with a sense of awe. This is how you 
receive it. And this is why Yaakov is the one who receives the blessings. Yaakov is the one who takes the legacy. Yaakov is the one who carries on in the name of Abraham and Isaac, whereas Asaph, of course, comes to an abrupt halt. Despite the fact that he tries this, that, or the other, it doesn't work. And this is why toward the end of the parsha we come across an interesting story where Yitzhak and Rebecca turn to Yaakov and they say, you have to leave this place in order to go to the land where your mother comes from. And there you will find the wife, very similar to what Abraham did in order to find the wife for Yitzchak. He sent off to his family in a distant land because living in the, among the Canaanites, the Canaanite women were not very modest. They were not people who were devoted to the higher values of life. And this is why they say to Yaakov, go and search for a wife elsewhere. And, of course, he goes, and ultimately he finds, as we'll read in next week's portion, he finds Leah and Rachel and, of course, the development and birth of the 12 tribes, the beginning of the Jewish people, not only as a family, but as a great nation as well. And this is something that is important to understand, that part of the legacy is making sure that the partner that we find in life is suitable. You know, we have to look for values. And, of course, we look for things that we find exciting and time. But we have to look deeper as well. Beauty is wonderful. Everything is great. Personality. But we have to look for deeper things. Can the two of us bring some continuity into our lives and continue that which we have received from parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents? And this is something which is so important in life. And this is why you have to work at finding the right partner in life. It's not accidental. It's not something which bumps into you. Yes, of course, sometimes God leads our lives in such a way that we do find our partner in life simply because we in a sense, bumped into them. But generally, we have to look for something. And in order for to look for something, we have to know what we are looking for. To look and not to know what we are looking for is a waste of time and absolutely futile. But when we know what we are looking for, we've spent the time, and this is the process of what parents have to do to children, to teach them values, to teach them an understanding of what, in fact, they have to look for in life, what their ambition should be, what their goal should be, what they should be looking for in a partner in life. And this is something which is so important for us to understand. Isaac and Re- Isaac and Rebecca both call in their son, Jacob, and tell him, go off to a distant land, leave a parent's home, which is difficult, and go to a strange place because there, there you will find a partner in life that you can live with and continue this incredible legacy that we have taken from Abraham and Sarah and continue throughout now. And this is something which is important for us to understand in every single sense of the world, to know what to look for, to know what to search for, to have the strength of character, to go into a challenging place, to go far away from home geographically and metaphorically, to go into a new and distant place and retain one's values and to retain one's sanctity and to retain one's holiness and character, to retain one's devotion to the values that we have received. And in a strange society, there to have the influence and to find that which we are looking for in life. This is something which life is all about. And this is what the Parsha is all about. The Parsha is called Toldot. The Parsha is called Generations. The Parsha is called Children. And it talks to us in different ways, as I mentioned before, of course, 
Isaac and Abraham, Abraham and Isaac digging the wells, continuing the work of his father. His father had tremendous breath. Yitzchak gives a tremendous depth to reopen, to redig the wells of water, of holiness, of true nourishment that the enemies had blocked out. And this is something which is very much part of the month of Kislev that we have entered yesterday and today, because this is a month of miracles, a month when, unfortunately, there was a time when the temple, Mesamikdash, the holy temple, was contaminated with all sorts of idolatry. And it was one family, Matisyahu and his sons, who courageously enter and miraculously win an incredible war in the story of the oil. This is a time that we talk about renewal. This is a time that we talk about all those things that are important to us. And this is why when last week shuls around the world were filled to capacity because people wanted to make a statement that what happened in Pittsburgh is something which will not be forgotten and something which will not destroy us. It is something that has to be continued as well. This is why each and every one of us, we are duty-bound to look into the Parsha of the week and try and bring out some sort of personal message, some sort of personal message of strength and pride, and to implement and make it our own. This is why when you're in shul tomorrow, listen to the story and listen to the story well. Listen to the story of Isaac and Rebecca. Listen to their prayers, how they pray differently. Look at them. Look at them turning into their own little worlds to find out who and what they are so that their prayers can be authentic and bring about the birth of children. Yes, complicated. Isaac Rebecca have children that one is holy, one is the opposite of holy, one follows his ways, one walks away from his ways. Jacob continues with the legacy of Abraham and Isaac. Asaph turns his back on the legacy of Abraham and Isaac. It's a complicated situation, but nonetheless one that speaks about strength and continuity. We speak about reopening the wells. We speak about looking for a proper spouse, a proper wife, going to a strange and distant place in order to find that wife, to continue the legacy, to make sure that the home that is built is one that will have the capacity to do the right thing. And this is why, as I said, when you are in shul tomorrow, listen, listen carefully to the stories contained in this parsha. It's not a very long parsha, but it's a very full parsha. It's a parsha that speaks about generations. It's a parsha that speaks to us. It's a parsha that speaks to each and every one of us collectively as a people, individually, with a particular character that we possess. Listen, and listen carefully. Good Shabbos, till next week.